Yeah, it's a passion. But you wouldn't do it if it wasn't a passion, I don't think. Or you wouldn't do a very good job of it. Hey, podcast listener. You're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. The weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around. Sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 79 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about passion. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And a very quick review, again, to get us underway this week. Awesome podcast. Five stars. DC Slim from the US. I love this podcast. Each episode is full of great tips and insights. Damien has a knack for sharing useful and interesting information in a way that keeps me motivated. Highly recommended. Thank you, DC Slim, for taking the time out to drop that review in the iTunes store. It really does mean a lot to me. And a reminder to you that if you do like the show, please take some time out to stop past the iTunes store and drop a review in there because five stars makes me go... Thank you very much. And two great articles I found this week from the interwebs. The first one is a research study called Effect of Aerodynamic Helmet on Head Temperature, Core Temperature, and Cycling Power Compared with a Traditional Helmet. A hell of a long title, but a very, very short and simple study that goes like this. Do a 12-kilometer self-paced time trial and see whether there is a significant difference in performance and body temperature when using an aero helmet compared to a normal helmet. They took 10 well-trained cyclists and ran through this study. The study itself, the results, yes, your head is going to get hotter in an aero helmet. Thank you, science, for proving that this happens, but body temperature and heart rate stay the same regardless of the helmet. And the results of the time trial, no significant difference in the power output. That says to me that for a short high intensity event, even in the sun, because it was 39 degrees Celsius when they did this time trial, that the aero helmet is not going to affect your performance from a power output stance. Coolness and its actual aerodynamic effect, they are a whole other topic. And the second article that I came across today is another study, and it's called The Metabolic Cost of Balance in Cycling, where it's trying to assess the actual energy use difference between ergos, so stationary trainers, and rollers, where you have to move to maintain your balance. And you have more of a dynamic pedaling motion when you are on a set of rollers. And the purpose of the study was to compare the oxygen consumption at similar power levels during the ergo, trainer, and rollers. So highly trained cyclists, again, which is really good because it means that we're not dealing with beginners. So basically, these riders had to ride on either the rollers or a stationary trainer and stick to a set power output. And the results showed that riding on rollers required 2.5% greater VO2 compared to riding on a stationary trader or an ergo at the same mechanical power level. They believe this interesting finding is due to the metabolic cost of balance associated with cycling on rollers because it goes a long way in showing that rollers may be better in simulating a similar effect on your body that riding on the road has, which they call overground cycling. 
that is one consideration to think about when you are considering whether it is rollers or a trainer that you're going to buy or use. But I have to say it is very focused and you lose out on a lot of the other elements that are really important here. Ones like on rollers, it's very difficult to do certain types of workouts, whether they're high sprints because the balance issue or whether there's long fatiguing workouts where you may lose your balance and fall off because you're struggling to stay at a max level and maintain balance at the same time. Maybe that's useful in some circles, but I think it's better just to go all out on a trainer and then deal with all the other issues when you're cycling on the road because something is going to stop you from falling off when you're on the road. And for me, the trainer always wins out for indoor training. So the nuts and bolts this week, five key cycling performance skills. And I'm not sure how long you have been riding, but I'm sure there was a time that you didn't race bikes. Surprising, I know. But When you're looking from the outside in, cycling doesn't seem like it is a very skill-based sport. Maybe there are some skills related to racing and tactics and learning how to ride a wheel and echelons and anything like that within a bunch. But beyond balance, it doesn't seem like there is many things you can do on a bike to build skill. So what I wanted to do was delve into five key cycling skills that enable us to get better and go faster on the bike things that can be practiced, things more than just clipping in and out of pedals. And I think a lot of the problem with the perception that there isn't a lot of skill in cycling is that you don't see people practicing it or you don't hear about your riding buddies practicing or you don't talk about practicing certain elements. And I'd say the main reason for that is if you're going to do anything, you're going to do some light sprinting or some cadence work and only in the off season not at other times and you aren't going to really do those in groups because they're better at an individual level so you don't get the exposure to other people's ideas and what they're doing or seeing how other people practice I think the other problem with skills is that people get really focused on the physiological side of training and the skills get skipped over a lot of the time because you can learn them on the go or innately you have some already. So things like sprinting and climbing and descending are really things that you will pick up on the road regardless. Whether you're very good at those or you get a good education on how to do them or a proper way to do them is another thing. But the other one is pedaling, which is probably the most practice skill. Like I said, you would do that in a big base, but probably that's it other than just pedaling all year round. So whether these skills do come naturally over time, I really think that The biomechanics of complex movements, say if you're doing weightlifting, something like the snatch, which is really complex, if you spend time getting down the actual movements, you're going to increase the load that you can lift. And I definitely think that the same can be said for practicing these skills that will help your performance no end. And when it comes down to the actual art of practicing these things, I think the best framework to use is Daniel Coyle's Deep Practice Framework. He wrote the book talent code it's a great book i would highly check it out and this is where it's tricky because you can talk about certain other sports and developing skills where it's a lot easier but the idea behind deep practice is you can focus specific time during your training to practicing these skills and getting better and better at them and the order that deep practice runs through is absorb so study deeply not necessarily a lot so you have to follow some guidelines or someone 
that can teach you, that can show you what is the movement that you're studying. So you can have a, an understanding, maybe not always at the technical level, but at least you'll be able to copy what is being done. And when it comes to copying, the second step here is breaking it down into chunks. Definitely, it's the old adage of Bruce Lee is more afraid of the guy that practices one kick per day on 100 days than 100 kicks on one day. The third part of deep practice is slow it down. Take the time to make sure that you're learning. Learn to feel it. Learn to understand what's going on with your body in each part of the movement. So the chunks that you break down, slow each one down and then slowly rebuild the speed over time. But starting slow will give you an understanding of where your body needs to be and then really you're just mentally and physically rehearsing what has to happen at each time of the movement. And the final one is repeat. So practice makes perfect. So let's start with the first one. And the first one is standing while climbing because it is really, really functional. It has a few really good uses other than just getting out max power if it's the top of a sprint or a hill climb or whatever it is. But I think out of the saddle has a couple of different distinct pedal skills that you need to practice in order to become more efficient at pedaling while out of the saddle. And remember that each of these pedaling skills needs to be completed in the most efficient and relaxed manner possible in order not to impact your riding once you're back in the saddle. Getting up and down from the saddle is a skill in itself. The idea of being efficient when you're standing up is to conserve your seated muscles and not stress the system when you're back in the saddle. So it's giving your body a bit of a break as much as turning up the power slightly. So you're really trying to be as efficient as possible when you're out of the saddle because you're trying to conserve your seated muscles and not stress the system when you're back in the saddle. And the idea is either to give yourself a break to get over some type of hurdle that's in the middle of the climb. Also technical climbing like mountain biking may require it because you have to shift your weight around a little bit more. But you're really not going to want to do it for a long time. It's just to give yourself a break. There is really no point in standing up for a really long time and you will find you are fatigued after a certain amount of time and that will differ depending on how well trained you are. But it's really a quad burner if you don't get it right. And the second reason that you would stand up on a climb is for survival. When you're going up a really long hill and you're tapped out and you're seated and you're very labored and it feels really heavy getting up the climb, all you're doing is you're trying to recover by standing up and giving all the muscles that you use when you're sitting down a bit of a rest so then you can sit back down and get on with it because it's not going to climb itself. But the practice that you can do is by refining your climbing form, specifically standing power and the standing transition. So if you focus firstly on how much your bike kicks backwards when you get out of the saddle, you see how loose you are when it comes to getting out of the saddle and how much more control you need to pull the bike under. So how do you do this? How do you practice proper body positioning? Riders have a tendency to throw themselves too far forward. I've seen it a hell of a lot where you're just sticking your head over the handlebars down close to the front wheel just trying to get up there and I don't think a lot of thought goes into this because probably at that time you're maxed out and your brain has gone all mushy but in any case you want to take the weight off your arms. You don't want to have stiff or straight arms when you're pedaling. You want to have a bit of a fluid motion but you have to keep the body still and positioned well. Because you don't really move the bike with your arms when you're standing up. You move it forward with your feet. So it makes sense that we should keep our weight on our 
feet and not on our hands and arms. So when you get up, get in the habit of rising really subtly out of the saddle rather than just thrusting your hips towards the handlebars and jerking that bike back. A good way to practice this is to just get out of the saddle a little bit and then gently nudge yourself forward where you start to feel where the weight is on your feet and then your arms are simply there to help you balance. And in this process, you'll find that medium. You will find that sweet spot in terms of positioning where you're not so close to the saddle that your quads are on fire, but you're not so far away that your hands are heavy and the front tire is actually pogoing. And this is really just a matter of practice and paying close attention to how balanced you feel in terms of weight on the pedals and weight on the hands. So play around with that fore and aft, that front and back position until you find that sweet spot where you have freedom in your legs to move and use all the muscles in there. But you're also not straining too much on your upper body and it feels like a light and easy motion. The second one is your aero position. So you may not think of this as a skill, but getting in a better aero position when you're riding is really going to save you time over any distance, let alone long distances where it's really, really important. And rider position is key here, just like climbing, standing up. It's another skill where you practice putting your body into a certain position. And it is always about the body when it comes to the aero position. What I really want to focus on is using the skill when you're on a road bike or you're on a mountain bike. A bike that doesn't have a traditional aero position so you can't get down too far with your back flat. What it's going to help here is being able to put your body into an aero position through mobility work that will help you actually get the flexibility and movement that you need to get in a tuck if need be or whatever it is, whether it is on a flat or it's going down a hill, there are certain tucks that will help you at certain times. But the skill to practice here though is as simple as this. I just want you to get one level lower than you normally would. Spend extended periods of time in this one level lower and you will find that of course you're working harder but then you're practicing this body position and it becomes more and more comfortable and you get used to being there so what do i mean by one level lower i mean if you normally ride on the tops of the bars ride on the hoods if you're normally on the hoods in a position ride in the drops if you're normally in the drops maybe do the fake aero bar with your elbows on the top of the bar it really will save you time at crucial moments in a ride or a race but there definitely are times that this doesn't work like climbing on the drops it looks badass but it's not always the best position you got to use your judgment here but i would definitely try all of them out before i write any of them off the third one here is sprinting and i was going to go through a whole spiel of choosing the right gear is very important because you want to feel the pedals underneath you and it affects your acceleration and top speed and how long you can maintain that for your body position is important because you've got to keep it still to maintain the air position with your elbows in but you allow the bike to move side to side and even just practicing riding for the line is a skill and learning how to throw your bike so learning how to over time just being on the pedals but not on the saddle and learning how to throw that bike forward even if it is a really small amount it may make the difference and over time once you speed this up you'll be able to learn this skill which really may come handy one day but i am going to skip over all of that and go to Form of Sprinting by Johnny Sirius. It was a product, an information product that I came across when I was kind of looking for ideas when it comes to sprinting. And I've got to say it is solid and it is based initially 
on track sprinting, but I think that the elements can definitely go over into road sprinting. There is no harm in using these elements in road sprinting. He breaks it down to five parts, though. Number one is the pedal stroke, the breakdown of the most powerful way to pedal. I've seen the breakdown in the video of this, and it's very slow and clear, so it shows you where your feet, ankles, knees, everything should be to get the best out of your pedal stroke. The second one is hand position. Your hand position is your contact with the bike, and having a correct hand position can change the power output of your sprint. The third is the torque phase, and it's down here as the most important part of interfacing the bike to make five-second power. Number four, the run phase. This is when you continue the sprint and and you keep moving into a high cadence and your max speed. And the fifth one is seated power. So it teaches you how to get the power out when you're seated as well. Definitely the first thing I've seen that breaks down sprinting into an efficient biomechanical process that you can practice and increase your output and efficiency when you're cycling. The fourth skill revolves around cadence. And there's a whole bunch of different ones. And this is the traditional one that you spend time in base working on. And I'm going to bring up ones that I've used in my training and I've used for the athletes that I coach. And I think that there's a lot of merit in doing this, especially if you're not used to it. And the focus here is not necessarily changing your natural cadence. It's essentially trying to make you a more efficient rider and use your pedaling stroke and try and smooth out your pedaling stroke and make you aware of different parts of it, where the power comes from, where you can change positioning to get a better feeling from your pedaling and over time and developing it so it's innate and you have a smooth, efficient pedaling system without even thinking about it. So there's five ways you can drop this into training and practice any one of these that help your cadence. And the first is pedal stroke quadrants. If you think about each quadrant of a 360 degree pedal stroke can be emphasized over the course of a training session. So you can do drills based on any of the four quadrants by isolating them and picking which one to actually use because you can take the four quadrants and isolate those when you are doing training. There is a couple of movements up and down and backwards and forwards and it's kind of that simple but what you're really wanting to do is isolate a different one at each time think about what you're doing in those ones and how you can make that movement more efficient one way to do that is through the second way here which is kick and pull and a balanced pedal stroke is really dependent on consistent tension on your bike's drivetrain through the entire pedal stroke. So if you reinforce the ability to maintain tension through the weakest positions of the pedal stroke, which are the top and the bottom, as the knee approaches top dead center, if you lightly kick your toes in the front of your shoes and as you feel your feet approach the bottom dead center, you lightly pull your heels at the back of your shoes, that kick and pull focus then you can start to get more out of your pedal stroke. Another one is a spin-up drill, and it's a classic one of taking 30 seconds, for example, and just spinning your cadence up. The focus here is trying to maintain a solid core and not bouncing on the saddle at all. The first time you do this, you're all over the place. No matter what you're riding on, whether it's a trainer, outside rollers, whatever, it just takes time to develop the strength that your body needs in order to hold the lower half of your body together when you are trying to maximize your cadence. 
And much like the next one, which is a high cadence drill, which is essentially riding a higher cadence than you normally would. It's as easy as going out and riding at 110 RPM if you normally sit at 90 or whatever it is. And you can do a whole session of this. So you can do an hour of this and it's going to be the best way to practice because you will soon figure out how to get a really smooth, efficient pedal stroke if you're trying to maintain a certain power zone, like you're trying to sit in power zone 2, the endurance zone, and you want to maintain 110 versus your normal 90, then you just sit in that zone and you figure out how to get your body to work as efficiently as possible. Another one here, the isolated leg drill. And I would say just do this on a trainer and it is the classic one because you can either unclip entirely and rest your foot somewhere or you can just not use one leg when you're pedaling but you'll really soon find out how good your transition is over the top and at the bottom and the goal here really is to smooth out that transition so you're able to get a smooth movement with one pedal as soon as you clip in and go away you'll realize the difference and the final one for cadence is a single leg focus and this is simply just taking the time to focus on one leg at a time really the best place to do it is the trainer because you have to spend time looking down at your knee and watching what happens to your knee and if it's moving around you're then trying to use your muscles to correct it and I find that my knee does tend to wander if I don't spend time thinking about where it should be and engaging the muscles that I need to engage in my quads in order to put it into the right spot so spend time looking at your knees seeing what they do and then figure out what you need to to correct it what sensation you need in what part of your legs to correct it so when you're out riding you can feel that sensation and again it's practicing the efficiency of your pedal stroke now the final one here is one that you probably wouldn't think about too often but it's breathing and breathing is really important when it comes to endurance sports obviously and I have touched on it in the past but if we don't breathe, we die. And definitely as cyclists, if we don't breathe properly, it can make the difference between a good ride and a great ride. And it really does affect all elements of our life. So the big part about breathing is that unfortunately over time, we really get into faulty breathing patterns that weaken us and they hinder our cycling. And really, they are just faulty patterns that need to be corrected at some level in order to get better. And learning how to breathe again is really about reclaiming your natural and functional breathing pattern. And it's all about gaining strength from breathing. And the reason we get into these faulty patterns is because as we get older, we begin to breathe differently, less optimally, because we sit down, we have different stress on our body, things change over time, and everything moves around, and we lose certain function. And just a bit of anatomy to illustrate how important the diaphragm is to core strength, which it's the diaphragm we're trying to isolate here and strengthen and improve because that will help us breathe better. But the diaphragm is a dome-shaped muscle that's at the base of the lungs, and it connects to the lower half of the thoracic spine and the upper half of the lumbar spine, so kind of in the middle of the back. And the fibers weave in and transverse through the abs and the psoas and being so intertwined into our core strength means that if we're not using it properly then we're really just being weak so how do you practice this well i've got an exercise from my buddy justin hayes from superhuman pursuits and it's designed to help reclaim your breath and this is done best by inhaling through your nose and exhaling through your mouth as it helps to optimize the positioning of your rib cage and allowing the diaphragm to move more freely so as a result breathing becomes more functional and the diaphragm can reclaim its role in core stability the actual exercise is balloon breathing level two and i've got a link to it with a video as well in there but you're basically lying on your back with your hands on your side and your feet at around a 90 degree angle you squeeze your butt tighten your abs and you keep your ribs down 
and breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth into a balloon. And do this for 30 seconds or until you blow the balloon up. And if it's too easy, you just raise your legs. So basically what this is trying to do is trying to maintain the alignment while nasal breathing because our bodies have been designed to breathe nasally. And that's why we've got hairy nostrils. They're filled with mucus and they filter the air when we breathe in. Also breathing in through a smaller opening, the nose versus the mouth keeps you from over breathing, which can be really important if you get in stressful situations on the bike and you find that you're shallow breathing. It kind of controls that. But these patterns can be transferred into your riding after you get them back to a normal state and a functional pattern. And depending on your position on the bike, you might be really restricted, at which point you have to make a decision about the value of breathing properly or aerodynamics or even your ego. But to test it, you really have to be able to breathe fully with your diaphragm in all positions on your bike, including the drops. So the position on your bike becomes really important and you must be able to breathe through your belly at every position on your bike because that is essentially what we're trying to do here when we're moving the diaphragm is just breathing through the belly, not through the lungs, the neck or the ribs. The other part about once you do transfer this onto the bike is that you want to breathe at your own natural pace. Whether it's related to your pedal strokes or how you're feeling or a mantra that you're saying in your head, whatever it is, just get into that rhythm. Use your stomach, use your nose at certain times. You probably would be hard pressed to use it all the time, but I would definitely try and use it a lot of the time because it does help open up that diaphragm. And the final note on breathing is that you're not actually trying to increase your oxygen uptake by breathing deeper. That's what you do VO2 max training for. What you're trying to do is actually help optimize the oxygen uptake you already have by learning how to use your lungs more fully. So they're the five skills and I know there's a lot of information in there and it would probably be best to go to the website and pick out one and then take it and then break it down and figure out where you can use it in your training. But the idea is just to give you a whole bunch of different versions of types of training and ways to practice skills and so you can add them to your repertoire in training and hopefully they make a performance difference to your cycling. Now to the tech hacks and products section and this week it's an app and it is an iTunes Apple app. So I am sorry, Android folks, but it's called Race Ready USA Cycling Races. And it's basically an app that helps you find local USA cycling bike races and a whole bunch of other things like who's registered in your category, what their results are with your competitors. It helps you register for races, get directions to the race. So it really has some useful features like being able to view your race calendar by your state, filter races by type, find fly and registration links directly to the race, see how many riders have registered, view detailed race results of the pre-registered races, get directions, get weather forecasts, set reminders, and share race details with your teammates. I think that it adds a ton of value. I would highly recommend you check it out. If you're in the USA and you ride a road bike, I definitely think this app is killer. I hope the dude expands it to other countries because I think it is really useful. But let me know your thoughts on whether you do think it's useful or not because the race season is nearly here. You've got to be getting excited. But let's get to that quote from the top of the show. It's Jonathan Breckvelt. I hope I got that right, Jonathan, but he is Drapic Professional Cycling's general manager, Drapic Professional Cycling, an Australian cycling team that in 2014 is making the jump from UCI Continental to UCI Professional Continental status. They're doing their first tour down under at the moment. You'll definitely be seeing these guys around. You will recognize the guys riding all in red 
looking sharp. So keep an eye out for them this year. Good luck with all the racing and the step up to the mini big leagues. And that's it for this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 